Good morning. The first reading is from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those who, from whom you learned it from, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, for your word, we give you thanks. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now. As you've come among us, that you would lead us, that you would encourage us, that you would enable us to know your word, to know the gift that is your word. Lord, help us to trust in you and you alone. Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that the words of our lips, the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, these... uh, these solas are, are truly foundational for us, and, and today maybe we get into the most foundational one of all of them because it's where that message of God's grace comes to us, through the words of Holy Scripture, through what God preaches, what God speaks, what God teaches us, uh, through the words that have been written for us. And, and it's important to know what we believe about the Bible. It's important to know that as we seek to practice it in all things. Now, um, I'm one of those people who believes that, that polls are good only up to a point. You can make numbers say whatever you want, but I want to throw a couple of these out at you because, uh, because I think they do kind of set the stage for us this morning. Um, every year, people do religious mindset surveys in the United States. They, they focus on different things, um, all sorts of different organizations. The first one that I want to point to is, is from Gallup, right? And Gallup Research Institute does all kinds of polling. They do it during election times. They, they do all sorts of opinion studies. This is what they do. It's not a church organization. They just sort of seek to define and understand who we are as American people, all right? And, and so they did this survey in May of 2017, May of this year, and they asked people, all Americans, right? So this was a cross-section, again, scientific poll, cross-section of Americans, they asked them about the Bible. And they asked them some variation of this question. What is God, what, excuse me, what is the Bible? And they asked them about whether it was God's word or not. And what was interesting to me was that 71% of people who responded, all right, 71% of all Americans, cross-section of Americans, said that they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. All right, so 71% of Americans believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Now, attached to that were various things about interpreting the Bible and how the Bible is to be interpreted, whether it's being interpreted literally or figuratively, but, but the bottom line with this is 71% of the people who responded said that the Bible is the Word of God. It's pretty impressive, right? It's a pretty impressive number. Another survey, different group. This group is Lifeway Christian. This is a Christian organization, still doing a scientific poll. Again, a cross-section poll of all Americans. This one was done in April of this year, April of 2017. And they were getting into people's behaviors and habits based on the Bible. So the other survey shows 71% of Americans believe that the Bible is in some form the Word of God. Second survey says this, 
only 22% of people, 22% of Americans, read the Bible every day. And in that survey, they also found that 35% of Americans never read or have read the Bible at all. Right? 35% of Americans have never read the Bible at all. Now, again, numbers are hard, so bear with me for a second. 71% of Americans say that the Bible is the Word of God. 35% of Americans say they have never read it at all. Now, if you do the math there, that means that 6% of people believe that the Bible is the Word of God and yet never, ever read it. Is that somewhat astonishing to you? It is to me. Because you're saying that you believe this to actually be a word from God for you, and yet you have never, ever opened it. And then you can turn the tables. And you can say that there are only 22% of people who actually read it every single day. The rest of us fall somewhere in the middle. We fall somewhere in the middle of that group, what we practice every single day. Now, one thing that's interesting from LifeWay, from their poll, was that the number increases from 22% to 49% among people who attend worship at least one time a month. It's a pretty low standard. But among people who attend worship in a Christian church one time a month, the Bible reading increases to 49%, those who read it every single day. That's still pretty low, though, isn't it? That 49% of practicing Christians read their Bible. Only 49% read their Bible every day. Now, again, these are all just numbers, and they can only take us so far. But they really kind of get us into the, the question we dealt with a couple of weeks ago from the Scriptures, the question of, but what about you? Where Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? What if we were to answer this for ourselves? What if you were to answer this for yourself? What do you believe about the Bible? And how do you demonstrate that practice? How does it, how does it affect you every day of your life? What, what do you believe? You see, that's the question that, that Paul asks a young pastor named Timothy. He asks him about this practice based on belief, what it means for him to do what he does. You see, what we believe only has effect if we practice it. A belief is no belief unless it's practiced, unless it's acted upon, unless we do something with it in our lives, unless it makes a change. So, so what do you believe? As Paul instructed Timothy, this belief was supposed to be pervasive. It was supposed to be about all that he was. And it was supposed to be a, a continual part of all that he did. Paul writes to this young pastor, who's a, he's a pastor in a place called Ephesus. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. It's in the area that we today call present-day Turkey, right? Present-day country of Turkey. And Paul has set Timothy there to establish churches and to, to place pastors in each of those churches. And as he continues to minister there, there's a, there's a problem in Ephesus. And we see it very clearly in Paul's writings to Timothy. The problem is that false teachers have crept in. And false teachers are teaching all kinds of things that are leading people away from Jesus. It's probably our first point of contact with this text. Because there are still false teachers. 
there are still those who will say things that sound good, say things that sound biblical, but they really aren't. Paul actually calls two of them out by name, Hymenaeus and Philetus. He actually names those names in the scriptures. And I have to tell you that my biggest fear is always that if I was alive during Bible times, I'd be mentioned negatively in the scriptures, right? Like you'd be like, in writing to that church in Fishers, tell Scott to tie his shoes, you know? And hopefully that was all that it said. (laughs) But the fact that they're mentioned by name tells us that we should take note to what they were doing. That there are real false teachers who will actually try to seek to lead us astray, to take us down a different path or a different road, who will do things for their own benefit rather than for the sake of God and what God is doing among us, who will teach us something that might sound close and yet leads us away from believing in grace alone. And Paul says not only is this happening, but this is happening and it's getting bad and it's going to be worse. And so he tells them that the church is going to need to stand against it. And then he tells Timothy this, the only way for the church to stand against it is for the church to know what it believes and to practice that belief. So it sounds like this when Paul says it to Timothy. He says, continue in the things that you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. Continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. It speaks of the conviction of heart that we are to have. The conviction that is ours based on what the scriptures teach us. The conviction that is ours in what Jesus Christ has done. The conviction that comes from scripture. And Paul tells Timothy, continue in this. In fact, he says one more thing about this belief that's been worked in him. He says, how from infancy you have believed the holy scriptures. There are a lot of us in the church who are lifers. Right? Those who have been in the church since infancy... Those who were dragged to church when we were kids and got in trouble for speaking out too loud in church when we were kids. Okay, maybe I'm the only one with that story, but that's my story. If Pavlov is right, I should hate church, but that's another story for another time. And sometimes we're we're almost taught to we're almost taught to to be ashamed of the fact that we've been in the church for all our lives. We're taught kind of that the only conversion stories that matter are the conversion stories told to people from their 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or even older. But the truth is, every single one of us is called by God. And whether God has called you, the oldest person I've ever baptized was 82 years old, whether you were called when you were 82 years old or whether you were called when you were an infant, we all rejoice in the same gift of God given to us. And there is a privilege that we have, those of us who have been lifers. There's a privilege of knowing these things since infancy, of having a confidence in those who taught them to us, just like the kids who know the gift of God because they can say, the Bible teaches me about God's love. There's no reason for us to begrudge those things, but instead to celebrate them. And to know the confidence that that can work in each one of us when now as adults we face adult situations where we can go back to the confidence that we have in the gifts that God's been working in us since infancy. One of my favorite families in Arizona, uh, just family had three boys, and the boys were, were amazingly creative and also always kind of right on the edge, right? Always kind of like it was always sort of every week seeing them meant that they were alive for one more week. And I kind of used to love to joke with their mom and just sort of, what was it like raising these three guys? And she said, you know, it wasn't always easy. And one of the things that she taught 
um, that she taught them really revolved around those times when they came to her and they said stuff like, you know, I don't want to go to church, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And so her response to them was, then fine, go in your room and for 15 minutes don't believe in Jesus. And, and they would kind of look at her puzzled. And she said she actually did this multiple times and they look at her puzzled like, really, you're not going to argue with me? My job is to go in my room for 15 minutes and not believe in Jesus? And, uh, no, also, I should say, I don't recommend this as a parenting tactic. It works for them, but maybe not for all. And then after 15 minutes, she'd call them back out. And she'd say, well, how'd that go? I couldn't do it. What do you mean he couldn't do it? I believe in Jesus. She'd say, right, so get in the car, we're going to church. Right, and, and in talking with the boys about that, it's, it's kind of a joke. But it's something that we all go through. When we ask those difficult questions, and we say, I, I don't know what I believe, and, and my mind is scrambled, and my heart's unsure, And it's those moments when those of us who are lifers can go back to what we've been taught from infancy. We can go back to the truth of Scripture. And we can say, Lord, reveal yourself anew to me. Lord, open the words that I might know what you are doing in me, that I might be reminded of the gift that you've worked in me. And also then to go back to the teachings that we have heard, to know the different proofs that are given to us. There are 17 extra biblical sources that mention Jesus from the time period when Jesus was alive. 17. And so why wouldn't I trust the most thorough? To go back to those moments and to say, I I want to know more, Lord. And to understand that as an adult, I can't approach those things with the same faith that I had when I was an infant. To say, now as an adult, I deal with adult questions. And I have to be able to ask those questions, to wrestle through them. But I also have to go to a place where I can find true answers. And in the midst of that challenge that I can understand those things that I've been convinced of since I was an infant. And if you are new to this, it's also your privilege to be able to learn these things new, to be able to become convinced in the same way as others, the same way as generations of people before us have been convinced of the truths that God has poured into this word. God works through this word. And he tells Paul Become convinced of it so that no one can lead you astray. And then he speaks to purpose. You've known since infancy the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. Right? Wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. That that is the whole message of the Bible. That the Old Testament points to it. God's interaction with humanity. The brokenness and sin that drags the people down as God continually calls them back as God continually refreshes them and declares them his people all over again, pointing till the day when one will come to redeem the people once and for all. Jesus is born. The Gospels give us the account of his life, those things which are necessary for us to know, to understand his work and role as Savior. Then the letters that follow afterward help to interpret it for us. How is this to be lived out among us? How is this to be the life that we now lead? even to the point of the revelation, which gives us a picture of what will happen at the end in that day when we will dwell eternally with our Lord Jesus Christ in the place that he has prepared for us. The scriptures contain the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And he tells us about how it came. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. 
That's the word inspiration. It means that God breathed through the authors of Scripture in order to create his word in us, in order to give us the message that is the Bible. Understand the Bible isn't a singular book. The Bible was written by 40 different people over 1,500 years. And in the midst of all of that, the message remains the same. The message of God's great love for his people. All Scripture is God-breathed, Paul reminds Timothy. All Scripture is inspired for us, that it is God's word poured out for us. And then he, he says these words. He says, as this gift is given to you, it's going to take work on your part. And before I say something about that, I also want you to understand that as Paul writes this word, this second Timothy, as he writes this letter, we know the time period in which he writes. We know that Paul is in his second imprisonment in Rome. And we know furthermore that Paul has already been given his death sentence. Paul knows that he's going to die soon. He's going to die at the hand of an executioner. And so in a lot of ways, Paul's writing to Timothy about those things which are most important. And this is what he says. Don't be led astray. Instead, stay strong in the message of Scripture. Stay strong in the testimony of Jesus Christ and of what he is doing in you. And then he says to him this, Scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God, that's all inclusive, so that the, the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And now we get into labor and work, don't we? Now it starts talking about the stuff that we have to do. Now it starts talking about putting into practice what we believe about this. And it would be a lie for me to stand up in front of you and to say that it's not going to take work on your part. You see, that's where this sola, scripture alone, sola scriptura, that's where this sola is different than the other two. The difference of grace alone and faith alone. You see, grace is God's gift freely given to you. Faith is the, the thing that God works in you to receive the gift of grace. In fact, it says in the scriptures, it's, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Grace and faith both are given to us without work of our own. But that's not the truth of scripture. The truth about scripture is that it takes work on our part. We can't just be in the presence of the Bible and have that be good enough. Instead, we actually have to open it up. We actually have to read it. And that's where we realize that we have to confront complacency in our lives. And complacency is real. And complacency in the face of false teaching is dangerous. In fact, check this out. This is one of my favorites. If you can't read the small print, it says, apathy comes before calamity. Look it up. Pay attention to the picture. So often we get complacent. And we say, well, I... I have the Bible, that's good enough. But the only Bible we have is the Bible that we know. And it takes work on our part to be about the things that Scripture teaches, to prioritize this in our lives. And so I want to encourage you to do something this week. I want to encourage you to do a little time audit. What are you spending your time doing? How much time do you spend each day preparing food? How much time do you spend each day eating food? How much time do you spend each day commuting to and from work? How much time do you spend reading a book? How much time do you 
How much time do you spend on sports? Fine, I'll go there too. How much time do you spend doing all of these things? How much time do you spend in Scripture? And ask yourself what you're prioritizing in your life. Now this, this can sound like quite a guilt trip. But I, but I want you to understand it, it's not meant to be. Instead, it's meant to be a gracious invitation. That God has caused Holy Scripture to be written for your benefit, for my benefit. That he's caused it to be written so that we would know those things which make us wise unto salvation in Jesus Christ. But it means that we have to work. It means that we have to combat the complacency which can become so evident in our lives. And so I'm going to throw a bunch of things at you right now, just some suggestions. And if these work for you, if one of these works for you, great. But, but I know that it, it kind of has to get to the heart of who we are. And, and I've heard people ask me before, why, why does it have to be a book that I read? Why can't it just be a movie, right? Well, there are movies about the Bible. Some of them are all right, but, but it doesn't pass the same test. It's actually important for us to get into the scriptures itself. And also understand, try by starting small. Right? The Bible is a big book. And you know the expression, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Right? Don't, don't bother trying to get through the whole Bible this week. Start small. Pick one of the letters. Start with 2 Timothy. Pick a gospel. Start with the gospel of Luke, in fact. And in a couple of days, you'll be hearing the story of Jesus born for you in Bethlehem. You know that story. And yet you'll be renewed by it, for God's word is living and active. And as you recall these events, you begin to realize that God is speaking to you through them. That God's speaking to you through the word which he has caused to be written for you. Another admonition for you is as you do this, read the Bible with a pen or a pencil in your hand. Don't be afraid to underline things. Don't be afraid to circle things. Don't be afraid to write in the column things that cause you to question or things that cause you to celebrate. You know what happens when you do that? You return to those pages later on at a different time in your life and you look and you go, oh, I remember when I was going through that. And I remember how this word confronted me. It also enables you to write down questions that you have that maybe you want to ask somebody else. Don't read it alone, but read it with a pen or a pencil in your hand. Another one, maybe, maybe reading a book is all foreign to you, so get an app, right? There are all sorts of versions. I'm not selling anything for you today. There's one that's free called YouVersion. It's a great app. It's free. You can even highlight and make notes right there in the app. And you know what else is beneficial about having the app? Is that every time you pull up your phone, it's right there in front of you. And if nothing else, it reminds you that God's word's there for you. All right, so maybe you're saying, I'm not a reader, and I know I'm not supposed to watch the movie. Is there anything else I can do? Yeah, get a recording. If you say, I'm just not a reader, well, listen to it. In fact, a good friend of ours, Paul, listened to the Bible to and from work every single day. He had a long commute. And as he went on his way each day, he listened to the Bible. And I know because I'd get a text or an email from him, and he'd be like, you know, I was reading through Ezekiel 19, and it said this, what about that? And I'd be like, yeah, Ezekiel 19, just a second, because uh, I don't have the Bible memorized either. And yet he is one of the best Bible scholars that I know, because he dedicated his commute time 
to letting someone else read the Bible to him. Here's another one for you. Maybe you're somebody whose mind wanders or, or it's just another way for you. Try Bible doodling. I didn't know much about this until Kate introduced it to me. It was something that we had learned from a, a pastor's wife in Michigan who taught us about Bible doodling. And I, when I was growing up, if my Bible looked like that, I would have been in big trouble. But understand it's done with a purpose, right? And it's trying to illustrate the truth that's happening on that page. And it's actually occupying your mind as you do this. And one of the things that I loved is the woman who taught us this, she said, you know what this does? Is this makes the Bible an invitation. It's always waiting for you to do something creative rather than something that's waiting to just bestow more guilt on top. So maybe that's for you. And I also want you to notice that in the midst of that, you can still read the words through the doodling. So it's not so that you can cross some things out that you don't like. But it's a way to occupy your minds that the images will also create and captivate you to the word of God. Get into a small group. Don't bother trying to do this alone. But instead, gather other people around you who can encourage you, who can walk with you. There's so many things that you can do just to take a small step this week. But, but here's my admonition to you. Try something. Try taking just one small step this week and to see the difference that it makes in you. You see, I want to throw another, another poll at you. This one's from Pew Research Center, which again, isn't a Christian organization. But they were asking Christians about the way that they viewed their holy book, the Bible. And this is what Christians reported. 42% of Christians said that the Bible is essential to being a Christian. Only 42% said that the Bible is essential to being a Christian. 37% said the Bible is important to being a Christian. And 21% of Christians said that the Bible is neither important nor essential to being a Christian. That's dangerous. It's dangerous for us because false teachers abound. Because we can find ourselves in that, in that apathetic camp. We can find ourselves not realizing that calamity truly is waiting around the corner. What God instead wants us to do is to be in his word and to realize how essential it is for us. To realize that it makes us wise unto salvation and that it is right here given for each of us. And we don't take, we don't take them up on the opportunity. Well, I guess that reminds me of a Super Bowl commercial from a couple of years ago. Can you play that for me, Andrew? marooned on an island for five years with this package and I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx that's very admirable thank you hey, well, by the way what's in the package huh, nothing really just a satellite phone GPS locator fishing rod water purifier and some seeds just silly stuff thank you again you keep up the good work. We practice what we believe. We believe Scripture alone, and so we practice Scripture alone. 
In the Bible, we, we see the message of salvation, the problem of sin and forgiveness. We see what Jesus Christ has done for us, the forgiveness that he earned on our behalf. That's where we get this unique message. The pastor, Charles Spurgeon, famously said these words, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. We believe what we practice. We believe scripture alone, and so we practice scripture alone. And God rewards that practice with his gifts, his faithful gifts of grace and faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.